Hey, man, how's it going? It's my show, the Scott Horton Show. I got all mad and turned off the TV news. I guess I ought to turn it back on in case something explodes. All morning long, the banner on CNN. Iran says America apologizes. America denies. America apologizes. America admits it was all America's fault. So, why shouldn't they have apologized? American military naval vessels. Yeah, that's redundant, but I'm just making it clear. We're not talking about fishing boats here. The American military sailed into Iranian waters, claimed it was an accident. The Iranians said, okay, you're under arrest, and then drop you off in the morning, and drop them off in the morning. Obama and the Secretary of Defense and the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff and the Secretary of the Navy are all on board with the fact that the Americas, uh, that the American naval vessels were in Iranian waters. In Iranian waters. Oh, but the question is, all morning long on CNN, is Obama such a sissy, liberal, wimpy, homo, Islamic, traitor, whatever, that he would dare bow down and apologize to the Iranians when the incident was admittedly 100% America's government's fault. God, I hate CNN. And you know, yes, it's true. I'm just a perpetual whiny teenage kid. And what I ought to do is do like Glenn Greenwald and write a 1,500-word article about just what pieces of garbage the humans in charge of CNN are. Only, you know, with compelling block quotes and arguments and whatever. But instead, I just read Greenwald and say, I know, I hate them so much, and now I just hate them more. I hate them. As Greenwald puts it, think for a moment. If Iran's navy was seized by America's navy within our 12 miles in American territorial waters... They're military vessels in our Gulf of Mexico, near Texas or Alabama or Louisiana, or off the coast of South Carolina or whatever on the East Coast, off the coast of New York City. And, uh, well, just leave it at that. What if the Americans had seized Iranian naval vessels in our waters? And then, as Obama says, uh, as, uh, sorry, as Greenwald says, what if Obama had set them free the next morning? But anyway, you just can't beat TV news for, if they can, drumming up a war, you know, they'll do whatever they can. And, uh, Greenwald has all the quotes here. As, and as he admits it, as he puts it, uh, the State Department and the DOD, the White House, they all conceded immediately. 
It's in CNN's reporting. It's in NBC's reporting. All the quotes here that, yes, the American ships uh, were in Iranian naval waters. They say it was an accident that um, I, I think the Iranians said, you know what? Maybe their navigational system had broken down. And the Americans said, I think that one of their propulsion systems had broken down. And so then they drifted. The second boat stayed with the first and they drifted, which why couldn't they have towed them out? I don't know. It doesn't matter. Maybe they were on a secret spy mission dropping off some Navy SEALs to go and and uh, do some lurking around or whatever. Who knows? But the point is, they admit it. The U.S. government admits. And then look at the reaction. The Iranians say, hey, we got your guys. They were in our waters, but no harm, no foul. And let them go in the morning. Tom Cotton's all over CNN last night crying his eyes out. Oh, every right-wing idiot on Twitter with their rape fantasies of the Iranian superpower that rules the earth having its way with America again and again. What a turn-on. It's completely ridiculous. And, uh, and as Greenwald points out... Um, uh, Aaron Burnett on CNN had a whole conspiracy theory that her own military expert actually debunked that the Iranians only did this to embarrass Obama right before the State of the Union. They know how important the State of the Union is to him. Boy, are they having their way with our president, aren't they? And then the expert guesses, well, you know, the American boats were in Iranian waters, so pretty hard for them to engineer that he left out you stupid idiot but you know what here's the fun of this none of the truth even matters none of the context I should say even matters you know what this all amounts to what it amounts to is a few brief words at the top of the hour news on right-wing AM talk radio across America from coast to coast from morning till night. One more scare story about Iran. And just meet an average conservative, and I don't mean a pundit. I mean, you know, somebody who typically likes conservative pundits. And ask them about Iran and see what they believe about Iran as far as their power, their motivation in the world. What it is that they're up to. And then compare and contrast that with the reality. You know, we talked yesterday with Trita about the ridiculous narrative that Iran is going to do everything they can to cheat on the nuclear deal. When, in fact, they haven't been making nukes all this time. What they've been desperate for is a deal under which America recognizes that and gives them some sanctions relief. It makes no sense. But it doesn't matter because, hey... It's a great narrative, and it fits with 1,000 fake talking points that the American right has been subjected to for the last 20, 25 years now in a row. Iran, weapons of mass destruction. Iran, nuclear weapons. Iran, nuclear program. Iran, Iran, Iran. Danger, danger, danger. The MEK has uh, brought us new information about this secret Death Star that they're building in tunnels just outside Tehran. Over and over and over. Thousands and thousands of scare stories to fill up 
one small segment of the top of the hour news just to reinforce the impression that you should have that Iran is something to be feared. Iran is something that you better be glad that you have an American government here to pledge allegiance to, to protect you from them. Oh, what the Iranians would do to you if Uncle Sam wasn't here to keep you safe, they claim. And yet again, who's on whose waters? Who's threatening all options are on the table for what? Who's the aggressor? And who's on the defensive? This country that's never done anything to us, that America's been at war with since 1953. Since taking over for the British Empire, who had conquered it in alliance with the Soviet Union during World War II. And anyway, what a fun talking point. Because, hey, look, oh, especially with pictures, right? The Revolutionary Guard Corps put out pictures saying, look at what tough guys we are. We captured some Americans. And here's some pictures of Americans with their hands on their head, which is perfect for all the right-wingers and, and all conservative media in America. Oh, the depths of humiliation that Obama has led us to. I guess they would sort of have a point if the question was... Why does he have American naval vessels patrolling around in Iranian waters? Or why can't he keep the U.S. Navy from doing so if he has no such intention? You hate government? One of them libertarian types? Or maybe you just can't stand the president, gun grabbers, or warmongers? Me too. That's why I invented LibertyStickers.com. Well, Rick owns it now, and I didn't make up all of them, but still, if you're driving around and want to tell everyone else how wrong their politics are, there's only one place to go. LibertyStickers.com has got your bumper covered. Left, right, libertarian, empire, police, state, founders, quote, central banking. Yes, bumper stickers about central banking. Lots of them. And, well, everything that matters. LibertyStickers.com. Everyone else's stickers suck. Hey, Al Scott Horton here to tell you about this great new book by Michael Swanson, The War State. In The War State, Swanson examines how Presidents Truman, Eisenhower, and Kennedy both expanded and fought to limit the rise of the new national security state after World War II. This nation is ever to live up to its creed of liberty and prosperity for everyone. We are going to have to abolish the empire. Know your enemy. Get The War State by Michael Swanson. It's available at your local bookstore or at Amazon.com in Kindle or in paperback. Just click the book in the right margin at scotthorton.org or thewarstate.com. All right, y'all, welcome back. I'm Scott Horton. It's my show, The Scott Horton Show. And it uh, doesn't look like we're going to have any guests today. I have a couple of invites out. I have a feeling I'm being checked out. Let's see how I do if I pass the test. Um, and you know what? Guest or not, we're going to talk about this article here. Uh, ISIS in Gaza by Sarah Helm. I think you'll find it terribly important and interesting. And I regret to admit that I'm only three-fourths of the way through it. I did not quite finish it. Although, one good thing about this show, sometimes it's good, is that we've got really long commercial breaks. So, I probably could knock out the rest of this real quick in four minutes if I had to. Anyway, um... Yeah, very important piece, and I have an invite out, and we'll see if uh, it's possible. Maybe I could get uh, the author on the show. Uh, but anyway, tons of stuff to talk about, and, you know, I don't know, man. I hardly ever do phone calls on the show, so I don't know if anybody 
if any of you guys have any interest in uh god dang it in uh doing phone calls on the show today but you're welcome to if you want to uh obviously the subjects are afghanistan pakistan yemen somalia libya syria mali uh israel palestine uh, lebanon the islamic state al-qaeda guantanamo bay the uh, newest and latest versions of the Patriot Act, whatever, tech spying stuff, uh, the presidential elections, whatever you guys want to talk about. You want to accuse me of something, I guess that's okay too, or uh, ask me questions about whatever you'd like a little clarity on or that kind of thing, you know, see, uh, see if I can help you out maybe. Um, there's a the phone number. It's 512-271-4836. 512 512- Forty-eight thirty-six, and uh, yeah, that's how you can be on the show and talk to me. I really ought to do this more often. I think the reason I don't is because usually I don't get too many calls and kind of sound like an idiot asking for calls and not getting any. But you can help with that. Um, you know, if you want. Otherwise, I will uh, tone down the ranting here and just get to a little bit of the facts. I should have that NBC story because I know they had all the important quotes right at the top there. Um, the 10 American sailors. Uh, oh, yeah. See, the CNN story is all just about whether the Americans apologized or not. Who cares? The point is about the facts the CNN story is such a piece of garbage. Sorry. Hang on. Let me find the NBC. Jim McLeshesky had a decent piece on this. <sighs> the CNN thing is just garbage, man. Um, all right. But, you know, McLeshesky, he's a little bit more competent. I won't say he's anything but a Pentagon hack, but he's a bit more competent of a writer anyway. Uh, they've been released... Uh, the sailors, nine men and uh, one woman, were held overnight on Iran's Farsi island, taken into custody Tuesday, when their two small U.S. naval riverine vessels drifted into Iranian-claimed waters. Not that they're in dispute. They're just being nice. Uh, Iranian-claimed waters during a training mission. Iran's Revolutionary Guard said in a statement Wednesday the sailors have been released back into international waters following a U.S. apology and clarification that any incursion was a mistake. The Americans have undertaken not to repeat such mistakes, added the statement. The captured Marines were released in international waters under the supervision of the IRGC Navy, they said. The State Department denied any apology, blah, blah, blah. All indications, John Kerry said, all indications were that our sailors were well taken care of. I think we can all imagine how a similar situation might have played out, blah, blah, blah. In other words, no violent confrontation, no battle on the high seas, no kidnapping in international waters, no violation of the laws of war, no aggression by Iran against the U.S. in any sense here. And I know it kind of sounds silly to put it that way, but go look at the Intercept and the Glenn Greenwald article. Um, oh, someone called and then dropped back off. But uh, go look at the Intercept Greenwald article where he has all the quotes from CNN speaking as though this is an Iranian attack on the U.S. And that was the propaganda, basically the tone 
of all the coverage yesterday, almost all the coverage yesterday, was one of American benevolence and innocence and Iranian aggression against the U.S. And then the thing is, if you just concentrate, separate the wheat from the chaff a little bit, everybody beating their chest in their various statements, uh, and, you know, disregard those for a minute and just look at the actual facts as conceded. And you see that it wasn't really aggression by America so much. Sounds like it probably really was maybe an accident or possibly a secret mission that got busted. But then the Iranian response is as gentle as you could possibly have hoped for. Uh, quite contrary to all the propaganda on TV yesterday, especially uh, the ridiculous Senator Tom Cotton on uh, CNN. That was the worst of it that I saw. Anyway, hey, here's the caller, man. Wait, let me put my ear goggles on. And then let me click this thing here. All right, hey, I'm Scott. You're on the show. Hey, um, I had a question about the actual upcoming presidential election. I wanted to get your opinion on it. Sure. I listen to you every day about on foreign policy. I pretty much think you're the best in the world at what you do, putting it all together. Thanks very so, much. Realistically speaking, I would realistically speaking, I would, I would obviously coming in. I thought you know Rand was Ron's son, and eventually he'd come around and be our guy. Too late for that. So it looks like whatever we're gonna have to go Trump. He's anti-establishment just because Hillary Clinton is the worst case scenario for all of us. Now, what would your honest opinion be on a Trump ramp hall ticket? If at that point in time, if Rand could become his father's son and get in this guy's ear, maybe maybe that saves us or not? Nah, you know. It's a good question. It's a fair question. And obviously, Hillary is just an absolute disaster. I mean, eight years of just horror. Uh, guaranteed under a, a Hillary regime. And it's true that, that Trump is anti-establishment in a sense. But on the other hand, he is a billionaire, which means he's very, you know, reliant on uh, establishment institutions like the big banks and that kind of thing, far more than his rhetoric would would lead on. And to the degree that he is a loose cannon, it's almost all to the negative. The, the only thing that's good about the fact that he's a loose cannon is he's willing to accuse the other candidates of things that no other candidate would dare accuse them of. You know, he he will go ahead and, and go there, that kind of thing. And so he's he's funny. You know, he calls Jeb Bush low T or whatever, and you have to crack up. I mean, it's Great, but but you I, know, I would also just say like him being a loose cannon, yeah. But he's also a businessman, right? So he's he's a guy that's going to listen to the people around him. No, you know what I mean? Like possibly. Maybe, like I, I I get the idea that him with his hand on the button, like getting in an argument with Putin, and he gets mad and he wants to nuke the Russians. That's crazy town. That. <laughs> I don't think that, that that can be good for us or anybody, but I don't think he would actually do it. All right, you? more more about Trump and the election right after this, y'all. Thanks for the call, man. Appreciate it. Scott Horton Thanks, Show, bro. LRN. Hey, I'll Scott Horton here. It's always safe to say that one should keep at least some of your savings in precious metals as a hedge against inflation. And if this economy ever does heat back up and the banks start expanding credit, rising prices could make metals a very profitable bet. Since 1977, Robertson Roberts Brokerage, Inc. has been helping people buy and sell gold, silver, platinum, and palladium and they do it well. They're fast, reliable, and trusted for more than 35 years. And they take Bitcoin. Call Robertson Roberts at 1-800-874-9760 or stop by rrbi.co. Hey, y'all, guess what? You can now order transcripts of any interview I've done for the incredibly reasonable price of two and a half bucks each. 
Listen, finding a good transcriptionist is near impossible, but I've got one now. Just go to scotthorton.org slash transcripts, enter the name and date of the interview you want written up, click the PayPal button, and I'll have it in your email in 72 hours max. You don't need a PayPal account to do this. Man, I'm really going to have to learn how to talk more good. That's scotthorton.org slash transcripts. <laughs> you know, <coughs> sometimes I wonder if this is real life or what. The CNN banner. Joe Biden in charge of curing cancer. <laughs> Oh, good, then. We can all stop worrying about that. You know, previously I had been slightly concerned about, you know, cancer. But not now. <sighs> anyway, uh, welcome back to the show. I'm Scott Horton. It's my show, Scott Horton Show. So, yeah, at the break, um, uh, caller, thanks. Good question. Caller's asking, okay, so pretend a couple of things here for the sake of argument. Let's say Rand gets it that being Jeb didn't work, dumbass. And so maybe be Ron now. And then assume also maybe for the sake of argument that Trump would then ask Rand to be his running mate. And then Ron Jr., so to speak, no offense to actual Ron Jr., Rand's older brother. Um, but then the, you know, mini me, Ron, up there would have Trump's ear and would tell him smart things. And then Trump, being the businessman, uh, would let the bottom line speak reason and would prevent some of the most worst, horrible things that the neocons would have the U.S. government do. The things that Hillary Clinton would do. I think, okay, you know what, if I accept a few of your premises for the sake of argument, I guess it kind of sounds good, okay? But here's the thing about Donald Trump. And uh you know what, I'm not as familiar with the man as people who watched his show for years on end or whatever, because I didn't. But I have known of him, I think, my entire life. Just like everyone else in America, by the way, which is why he has such a huge leg up here. His level of fame, the depth... And breadth of his fame is so far beyond any of these other candidates, including Hillary, that it's gives him a huge advantage. But anyway, the very best I can tell about him is obviously he's willing to say anything for the chance at power, like Rand, only he's good at it. Um, but he also seems to me like he would be willing to make very bad decisions and not ever care. And in a very George W. Bushian way, never stop for a moment to question his own wisdom or analyze the consequences of the last few bad decisions and see whether he can maybe make a metaphor and decide whether he wants to keep doing that same stupid thing again or what. And you see the way his ability to write off legitimate concerns about extremely important things like war and torture, like war crimes, such as targeting the uh, innocent family members of accused terrorists or assumed terrorists, such as torturing people to death. Uh, he makes Dick Cheney seem conservative and concerned. You know, Mr. So What looks sober and reasonable compared to Donald Trump, who says... You know what? Torture works great. Yeah, it works great. Forget about it. It works great. And you know what? Even if it doesn't, they deserve it anyway. 
Yeah, no, that's not okay. That is not okay at all. That is not any kind of superior alternative to the establishment centrists that we're stuck with. And in fact, he is pretty centrist, right? I mean, he's playing the right-wing populist angle very well politically. But he is a New York billionaire, after all. Uh, not a redneck from Alabama. He's just, you know, good at talking to those guys. And um, I mean redneck lovingly. I'm from Texas. I, I am anti-racism against rednecks. It's like all racism. Um, but I'm just saying... Uh, He's actually, you know, pretty pragmatic and centrist on on most of his positions, except for the ones that are, you know, mostly for the headline and the popularity of it. But when it comes down to what he would be willing to do, I mean, here's a guy who talks about the establishment clause and the free, you know, is, I guess more the free exercise clause of the First Amendment of the U.S. Constitution as just merely a privilege that he can just ride off with a wave of his hand and a shrug. Yeah, these Muslims and their mosques, meh. We're going to have to give up some of the privileges that we have had all along. I mean, he's clearly referring to the free exercise clause here. He's not saying to, you know, some of our more recent PC uh sacred cows. He's saying the very core uh freedoms that define what it is to be an American. These are just mere privileges that, meh, meh, meh. And I'm not going to sit here and say I prefer Hillary to that because, of course, the choice is not so binary. But is there really a silver lining on Trump that comes anywhere near outshining the, the danger that he represents? I don't think so. And here's a man who has no principle at all, who believes only in himself, and who and who very much believes in the leader principle who uh you know promises a return to a glorious past in a way that you know yeah it's cynical but yeah it's cynical when the nazis did it too they knew they didn't have a time machine uh they knew there wasn't a glorious past it's just good sloganeering and it's the kind of sloganeering that i uh, really resent yeah uh believe me i'm as sick as any of you of the ridiculous PC culture that says that nobody's allowed to ever hurt anyone's feelings or use certain words ever, no matter the context and this kind of thing. Uh, but basic respect for other people and their right to be whoever they are, whether you like it or not, just basic level tolerance for other people's existence and thoughts and beliefs and habits and whatever. I mean, I know that, you know, us libertarians, we're the purists, right? We argue to the nth degree. But this is more or less sort of kind of pseudo partially part of what all Americans pretend to subscribe to, at least, right? A little bit of that live and let live thing. As long as what you're doing doesn't involve, you know, unfairly coercing someone else, committing uh, aggression against them, then, eh. What do I care, really? As Thomas Jefferson said about uh, if my neighbor believes in one God or ten, it neither picks my pocket or breaks my leg. What the hell do I care? And, in fact, I think that may have been a specific reference to Muslims at the time. But anyway, 
Um, Trump doesn't believe in freedom. Trump doesn't ever talk about freedom. Trump is a, he is a collectivist. I mean, it's, it's kind of hard to call him a right populist when he's so damn rich and elitist, but he certainly does not represent, you know, that Jeffersonian, the good part of the Jeffersonian strain in the American tradition. You know, he's something else altogether. He appeals to the Andy Jackson in you. Uh, maybe he's probably really more like a Hamiltonian only without the thoughtfulness. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I appreciate his hatred for the Wilsonians, and I really appreciate his complete obliteration of the walking corpse that is Jeb Bush. I mean, uh, for that, we could build a little bitty statue of Trump for that, for just humiliating Jeb Bush off the face of the earth, and with such minimal effort, too, you know? It's really something to uh, appreciate. I love it. I even sent Trump a tweet that said, I hate you. You're a fascist. So don't get me wrong, but thank you very much for what you've done to Jeb. I mean, it's really been fun for all of us. And maybe I'll regret that. You know what? Maybe the fascist dictatorship of Jeb, of, uh, of, of Donald Trump will, uh, you know, make us wish we had the, the, I don't know, pathetic cowardice of Jeb Bush in its place, uh, at some horrible point in the future, but all things being equal. Watching Jeb Bush, you know, Jeb Bush, it's like he's a kid who can't swim. It's like he's, uh, it's like he's a beast who can't swim. And then Trump's just holding him underwater with one finger, finishing him off. That's what I picture. I think it's funny. Low T Jeb. <laughs> hey, all Scott here. The thing is, I need you guys to help me to get these download numbers up. So do me a favor and sign up for the podcast feeds of this show. You can choose the whole show or just the interviews at iTunes and Stitcher. All the buttons you need are at the top of the right margin at scotthorton.org. The more subscribers I have, the more iTunes and Stitcher will help promote the show to new listeners. If you're a hardcore fan, brand new or from way back, please leave them customer ratings and reviews, too. I'm trying to get these wars ended. Hey, I'll check out the audiobook of Lou Rockwell's Fascism versus Capitalism, narrated by me, Scott Horton, at audible.com. It's a great collection of his essays and speeches on the important tradition of liberty. From medieval history to the Ron Paul Revolution, Rockwell blasts our status enemies, profiles our greatest libertarian heroes, and prescribes the path forward in the battle against Leviathan. Fascism versus Capitalism by Lou Rockwell for audiobook. Find it at Audible, Amazon, iTunes, or just click in the right margin of my website at scotthorton.org. All right, y'all. Welcome back. I'm Scott Horton. It's my show, Scott Horton Show. Hey, we're taking some calls. Well, one so far, but I'd be happy to talk with you guys, too. Uh, question, comment, politics, wars, police state stuff, whatever you like. There's one. 512-271-4836. 512-271-4836. To be on the show. And now you are on. Welcome. How are you doing? Hi, Scott. Thanks for uh, talking to me. This is uh, Boulder from the chat room. Hey, good to talk to you. How uh, are you? Excellent. I'm uh, wondering what you think is going to be going down in Saudi Arabia. I read this uh, French translation on Lou Rockwell today that uh, that this guy, Thierry Meeson, says that uh, 
it's doomed, and that's not the first thing I've heard since they uh, executed that cleric a few days back. And I'm wondering what, and also you had a couple guys on in the last uh, week and a half or so that talked quite a bit about all the different factions, and it's all uh, most of us can do to wrap our heads around Sunni and Shia, but it looks like this breaks down into scores of little factions that, uh, you know, where Shia and Sunnis are uh, teamed up against other Shias and Sunnis, so it's all very strange. And so I'm wondering what your thought is about the whole situation and what it, how it might play out and what it might have to do with the dollar. Well, you know, the thing is, as far as the dollar, the very last part there, I'd recommend go back and listen to that interview of Shea Machine Riley from last week. Uh, and he also wrote a thing that ran at the Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity site and at Liberty.me about the true role of the petrodollar in recycling American debt and all that. Very interesting piece there. As far as the stability of the Saudi regime, I was asking Patrick Coburn that yesterday. And he was saying that, well, okay, first of all, the Saudi regime is basically, you know, I don't know, 10,000 princes, uh, you know, all third cousins of each other or whatever the hell. And they're the ruling class who rule everything. And they get a, they have a monopoly on all the oil wealth and all the coke and whores and whatever they want in the world and, you know, yachts and whatever the crap. Um, and they have a compromise, basically, a deal with the Wahhabist clerical leadership which is you keep all the people under control for us and we'll let you rule them and we'll just run off with all the money and care about only ourselves. And so that's been the deal basically up until now. And I really don't know if, well, first of all, I don't know. And I don't know who knows. I very much doubt Theory Mesian, the guy that made up the missile hit the Pentagon crap is the guy who knows. Um <laughs> Uh, who's a complete con artist. But anyway, um, I don't know who knows just how stable uh, the dictatorship is there. But as Patrick Coburn wrote in his uh, recent piece about them, and there's quite a few. Uh, if you want uh, all of Coburn's uh, articles are at uns.com. There's paywalls and stuff at The Independent, but at uns you can read everything he writes there. And he has some recent stuff about this. And... and um, you know, one of his points is they're implementing this so-called austerity budget under these low oil prices and and uh, severe pressure on their spending. But, of course, all the cuts are at the very bottom, right? They're going to balance their budget on the backs of the poor. And the poor there have nothing other than the patronage that they're, you know, the little bit of welfare state that the rich you know, provide to them. And of course the rich are only rich because they're all on welfare too. Nobody works. You know, only, only foreigners work in Saudi Arabia, you know, Pakistani laborers and stuff like that actually do all the work. Um, and so in other words, these, you know, rich princes in their ivory towers are putting themselves in a very precarious position here as, you know, they make massive salaries sitting on their ass all day and they're pulling the rug out from the people on the very lowest end of uh, the system. So these so, sanctions might, uh, like, uh, cause people to, like, go hungry then. Because, I mean, that's all, the regime never goes down and, you know, they never get out the pitchforks and torches until people's bellies are empty. I mean, that's right. The Arab Spring was basically one big bread riot, you know, um, uh, and, and partially because of America's inflationary policy and the destabilization of the whole region from Iraq War II and all that. But, yeah, that's the thing. And then, of course, the Saudi regime is 
Uh, they got a new king who they, I think Coburn says is half out of his mind. And the guy who's apparently running everything is his 30 year old son or 29 year old son, who's the new secretary of war over there, defense minister, whatever they call him, who's, you know, doubled down on Bandar's policy in Syria, who's launched the war, the disastrous war in Yemen, and who I don't know exactly, but apparently has had, you know, some influence on the decision to do these mass executions uh, a week and a half ago that um, included the highest-ranking Shia cleric in Saudi Arabia. And the Shia in Saudi Arabia live in the northeast of the country. I mean, obviously, the whole, con- the whole peninsula is tilted to the northwest, but what counts as the northeast up there by Kuwait and the Persian Gulf, um, that is where the oil is, and that's where all the Shia live. And so, um, you know, when the Arab Spring hit Saudi, it was mostly the Shia who were trying to rise up, although they didn't get very far. And now the kingdom is taking the attitude that we'll show you anybody who stands up against us, we'll cut your head right off rather than, you know, trying to make any kind of concession. And so then that's just escalated their conflict with Iran and led to a severing of diplomatic uh, relations with them and, and the rest of this crisis. So. You know, it sounds basically like the Bushes are in charge of Saudi Arabia over there. A bunch of numbnuts uh, wrecking everything with no real plan and and making everything that was already a disaster that much more difficult. And then so I guess we have to assume, including for themselves. But then again, Mao Zedong was the worst leader in the history of all leaders. And he stayed in charge from 1949 through his death in, what, 74, right? So... <laughs> really, really, really bad leadership does not necessarily mean a soon end to it. Right, like I said, it's only when bellies are empty. Right. And nowadays, like it's well, easier than then. ever to like keep people's bellies full. <laughs> right, and even then, you know, starving people riot, but they can't necessarily win. You know what I mean? That was sort of the theory behind sanctioning Iraq in the 90s, was we're going to starve these people into hating Saddam. And they might have hated Saddam as much of Ameri- as much as America for starving them, but they couldn't do anything about it. They were starving. What the hell were they going to do to or Saddam when like, they didn't even have a bite to eat? Yeah, even in Egypt when they, you know, they were successful, and then just a couple of years later, it's a total failure. Yep. And and really what that came down to was just the the supreme unpopularity of Mubarak at that singular moment and the unwillingness of the junior officers to massacre everybody in Tahrir Square. But, uh, yeah, lesson learned there, as Coburn was saying on the show, lesson learned there that just don't let the protests get that big and you can go ahead and massacre it. And that's exactly what they did when they overthrew the Muslim Brotherhood, the military, in 2013. They killed a thousand people in the street, so they didn't have to kill twenty thousand. You know. And that, that Jameson Riley uh, interview was uh, very interesting. I I got distracted a few times when I was listening to it live and didn't quite get the whole thing. I think some of it continued on past the break too. So yeah, I'll yeah. have to go back and relisten to that. Yeah, yeah, go back and and read that article too. He's a real bright guy. It's a complicated subject matter there with all the currencies and and what have you. But um, I think he he tries to be very subtle in explaining what exactly the petrodollar is and isn't and. Um, I can't say I'm the master of the subject, but I will say that what he says, I think, at least reminds me of what Bob Higgs has said as well. Um, yeah, I don't think know. anyone is the master of the subject. Uh, you know, they intentionally uh, make those things so confusing that no one wants to become a master of it, even if they could. Right. 
Well, and some of it has to be, but um, yeah. yeah. Here's that article: Dollar Dominance Deconstructing the Myth of and Untangling the Web on Liberty.me. Yeah, it's the article right the there. It's also at the Ron Paul Institute. If anybody's else is looking for it, say the name of it again. Dollar Dominance Deconstructing the Myth and Untangling the Web. There you go. That's the one. All right. Hey, man. Thanks for the call. Good to talk to you. All right. Thanks for all you do. Oh yeah. See ya. Anybody else wants to call in? It's 512-271-4836. I guess I could take one real quick one here before the top of the hour break. Uh, otherwise, I got lots more news to cover and more calls from you guys if you're interested. Uh, starting at six after. When we come back from the top of the hour. Oh yeah, see, I have a whole state of the union to fisk. Barack Obama. What a horrible person. Jesus. Just horrible. Um, and then, uh, oh, I got Hillary Libya. I got, um, ISIS in Gaza. I want to at least talk a little bit about that article. I'm hoping to get the author on the show. I got a ton of Yemen stuff and a ton of Iraq Syria stuff. I really better get my ass in gear here. Uh, Scott Horton show. Be right back. ScottHorton.org. Hey, I'll Scott Horton here for Liberty.me, the great libertarian social network. They've got all the social media bells and whistles. Plus, you get your own publishing site, and there are classes, shows, books, and resources of all kinds. And I host two shows on Liberty.me. I on the Empire with Liberty.me's Chief Liberty Officer Jeffrey Tucker every other Tuesday, and The Future of Freedom with FFF founder and president Jacob Hornberger every Thursday night, both at 8 Eastern. When you sign up, add me as a friend on there, scotthorton.liberty.me. Be free. Liberty.me. Hey, all Scott here. If you're like me, you need coffee. Lots of it. And you probably prefer it taste good, too. Well, let me tell you about Darren's Coffee Company at DarrensCoffee.com. Darren Marion is a natural entrepreneur who decided to leave his corporate job and strike out on his own, making great coffee. And Darren's Coffee is now delivering right to your door. Darren gets his beans direct from farmers around the world. All specialty, premium grade, with no filler. Hey, the man just wants everyone to have a chance to taste this great coffee. DarrensCoffee.com. Use promo code Scott and you get free shipping. DarrensCoffee.com. All right, y'all. Welcome back. I'm Scott Horton. It's my show, Scott Horton Show. We're doing calls. And also, you know, I'm kind of ad-libbing some complaints of my own here. Um, Comments, questions, accusations. Bring them on. 512-271-4836. 512-271-4836. Of course, the topic is any one of our 14 wars or however many it is and... Uh, the police state and politics, president's speech last night, if you want. I'm going to get to that here in a second. Um, also, you can tweet me, twitter.com slash Scott Horton Show. And you can join up the chat room, which is an IRC free node chat room, hashtag Scott Horton Show. And uh, you can talk to me that way, too. Again, uh, phone number 512-271-4836. Had a couple of good calls already. Maybe we'll get some more out of you. Um, all right. Uh, stop by, oh, while you're uh, cruising by the chat room, stop by scotthorton.org slash donate. And there's all kinds of great ways to help support the show, including all kinds of great kickbacks. Like if you donate 100 bucks, you get a QR code commodity disc. Has no face value on it, just a QR code so you scan it with your phone and it tells you how much it's worth on the open market in real time. The greatest invention in the history of all 
human currencies, if you ask me. QR code commodity discs, you get one. If you donate 100 bucks to the show, donate 200 bucks to get a lifetime subscription to listen and think audio. Um, many happy uh, customers, well, not many, but quite a few, I guess, happy customers on uh, that one so far. Uh, happy to include you on it. Uh, thanks to the great Derek Sheriff there at Listen and Think Audio, Libertarian Audio Books. Um, and the monthly donations, you subscribers who do a dollar, five dollars, ten dollars, twenty dollars, uh, once a month kind of things, uh, by way of PayPal, those things are great. Anybody wants to sign up for that, really appreciate it. Sure does, uh, help the show keep being a show. Okay, good deal. ScottHorton.org slash donate for all the info you need for parting with your hard earned money. Or however you got it. Okay, uh, the State of the Union. Oh, Barack Obama. I didn't watch it. I read it this morning. Um, well, the vast majority of it. So one thing I kind of sort of liked a little bit was the way that he was saying to the Republicans, quit your crying all the time. He's such crybabies. All you ever talk about is how it's the end of the world. Now, the thing is about that is he's pretty much right when it comes to, say, for example, the terror war, where, like I was making fun of him earlier, the conservatives have all these rape fantasies about Iran when the U.S. state is 100 million billion times more powerful than Iran. Iran poses absolutely zero threat to the United States of America. Give me a break. If they had their entire legion of any terrorists they've ever backed in history, our, you know, Carolina, pick a Carolina's National Guard could take them on by themselves. Give me a break. Our Coast Guard is all the Navy we need to protect this country. You know, uh, they're, and the same thing with, uh, you know, ISIS attacks and all this kind of thing too. Um, ISIS and Al Qaeda. They're so far, uh, into their own reality of the land of danger that we're living in that they're completely blind to, as the evil murderer, liar president said, uh, we're living in a country that has more wealth than any other country ever, ever. You know, even when the a bottom falls out of a giant real estate bubble or whatever, that doesn't negate the fact that we've had, you know, more or less 150 years of peace here in the middle part of North America and a lot of real capital investment has been made in this land. And there's, you know, the universities, of course, uh, educate people at very high levels um, in certain places anyway. And uh, the industries that exist here, the infrastructure in terms of all of the different trucking lines competing with each other to bring goods to people, uh, whatever it is, all of the capital that's built into American society, you can't get rid of it without H-bombs. And, you know, it's a, it is true that, well, and it's distorted. There's a bubble, but the rest of the world's got their bubbles too. But America's economy is basically a quarter of the world's economy. As Obama actually admitted in the State of the Union last night, he said, quote, we spend more on our military than the next eight nations combined. No nation dares to attack us or our allies because they know that it's the path to ruin. Which is, of course, true. 
It's just incompatible with being terrified to get out of bed in the morning the way conservatives like to be. And I can see the thrill in it. You know, I'm a skater. The fun of being a skater is fear. Although the fun of being a skater is conquering fear and pulling it, you know? Not just going, well, I'm afraid of the Muslims or whatever. I'm a big, tough, macho conservative. I'm scared. I'm the enemy. So uh, our evil killer murderer president is right to mock the right for their cowardice. And especially in the sense of their cowardice serving as the basis for horrible policies. But then again, uh, this is a guy who has killed more people than any conservative in America. Except for George Bush himself, Barack Obama's killed, I mean, directly under his orders, never mind, you know, secondary effects and all that, but at least, what, 100,000 people? Close. And he's gotten far more than that killed in the conflicts that he's worsened and spread and prolonged and etc. Uh, this guy is soaked in blood up past his eyeballs. It's a good thing he's such a good swimmer or has a floaty or whatever it is. Keeping his head above. Um, uh, but anyway, so, and then he goes on to kind of play down. Um, he, he plays up his successes, blah, blah. The Iran deal is the one good one. And then he invokes, uh, he invokes um, Ukraine. See, I, I'm sorry. I highlighted too much of the thing. Now I don't have all the actual specific parts I wanted to highlight. But anyway, um, uh, 10,000 airstrikes, he says, uh, talking about the war against the Islamic State, and says that, um, you know, we've learned the lesson of Iraq and Afghanistan, that you can't just do this. Uh, you know, and occupy these places forever and all this stuff. As if he's the one who did the surge in Afghanistan. He's the one that doubled that war, tripled it to clear, hold, and build and change their entire society and give them a government in a box and left and still has more than 10,000, uh, American soldiers there to this moment. Propping up and never mind the unlimited billions of dollars spent on propping up their, uh, you know, phony ghost army and the puppet regime in Kabul. Um, he talks, he brings up the Benghazi attack to say, yeah, we arrested the guy that did it. That's his only mention of Libya in the entire speech. And, um, and then he talks about this sectarian, uh, a rift going on in the Middle East that's due to last a generation. But he says it's been going on for thousands of years or time immemorial or something like that. Oh, really? It's been going on forever, but it, it'll probably resolve itself in the next generation or so. Sounds to me like he's admitting the truth that it was America that did this. It was George W. Bush's invasion of Iraq and the war, the sectarian war for the Dawah Party and the Supreme Islamic Council and the Mahdi Army to put their united Iraqi alliance in power, their El Salvador option against the Sunnis that drove the, the Sunni population of Iraq into the arms of Zarqawi and the Islamic State. 
Can't admit that. So, yeah, no, the origin's time immemorial, but, you know, probably this is going to continue playing out for another couple of decades, maybe. Yeah, it's going to be a lot longer than that. Hey, I'll Scott Horton here to tell you about this great new ebook by longtime future freedom author Scott McPherson. Freedom and Security, the Second Amendment and the Right to Keep and Bear Arms. This is the definitive principled case in favor of gun rights and against gun control. America is exceptional. Here the people come first, and we refuse to allow the state a monopoly on firearms. Our liberty depends on it. Get Scott McPherson's Freedom and Security, the Second Amendment and the Right to Keep and Bear Arms on Kindle at Amazon.com today. Hey, all Scott here for Samurai Tech Academy at MasterSamuraiTech.com. Modern appliance repair requires true technicians who can troubleshoot their high-tech electronics. If you're young and looking to make some real money, or you've been at it a while and just need to keep your skills up to date, Samurai Tech Academy teaches it all. And they'll also show you the business, how to own and run your own. Take a free sample course to see how easily you can learn appliance repair from MasterSamuraiTech.com. Use coupon code Scott Horton for 10% off any course or set of courses at MasterSamuraiTech.com. All right, y'all, welcome back to the show. I'm Scott Horton. It's my show, Scott Horton Show. Um, the other thing, I meant to say this at first, actually, but I forgot about Obama's speech. All the part that I didn't specifically refer to is all the part about how government loves you so much and they're going to take such good care of you and they're the reason that everything good in our society is good and what would you ever do without them? And we're going to put Joe Biden in charge of the new Manhattan Project to abolish cancer. And, uh, you know, I don't know if he bothered mentioning we're going to colonize Mars or whatever. But anyway. Basically, you know, from a try to pretend like you're some marketing goon sitting around a table, you know, figuring out how to manipulate people best here. What's the meta synergistic branding that you're messaging here with the freaking thing, right? It's that our government is our society's leaders. That where would we be without them? And it's hardly plausible if you analyze the thing. Why hadn't our government abolished cancer yet? We're just waiting around for Barack Obama to put Joe Biden in charge of it. Are you kidding me? But, eh, whatever, dude. That's not the point. All the specifics. Uh, the point is the overall message. As Obama says, we are Thomas Edison and the Wright brothers and George Washington Carver. Oh, and then he says, I don't know who Grace Hopper is. Catherine Johnson and Sally Ride. They're astronauts. Maybe Hopper is too. Okay, I admit NASA is a government program. But just think if it had been private all along. Just think if the Americans in the space race with the communists had said, not only are we going to beat you to the moon, but free enterprise is going to do it without even the slightest government subsidy. They're going to do it with advertising revenue. Tang is going to pay for our way to the moon because we believe in freedom. How do you like that? But anyway, we don't. They didn't. And that's the thing all about this, man. Um, insurance, health care, global warming, economic this and that. 
Oh, and that's the other thing. Part of his whole shtick about Republicans be crying all the damn time, which is true, is that they are capitalizing off of America's, uh, the American people's economic destitution. I mean, what they call, uh, Obama cites all these stats here, uh, about new, uh, and higher, uh, employment rates and this kind of thing. But we all know it's all nonsense. We all know that they don't even count people who quit looking for work because there ain't any. We all know that whatever looks like some prosperity in some places is all just a bubble waiting to pop maybe sooner than later. Just as people are finally believing they're getting going again to have the rug pulled out from under them again. We all remember that people are just trying to get up again from the crash of 08, which absolutely destabilized the economy. Just I have no idea what percentage, but some huge percentage of the American population had the rug pulled right out from under them in severe ways, you know, due to layoffs or bankruptcies or, you know, whatever other secondary effects and this and that the health coverage they lost when they lost their jobs. Um, and uh, I don't know what the real unemployment numbers are, but I know that the government's lying. Just like I don't know what the real um, consumer price index is, but I know they're lying their ass off about what it really is. And they got a million ways of uh, excusing themselves from having to admit the real numbers here. We all know the real truth is that real wages haven't gone up in generations. And we all know that it's because the richest are in league with the state in a war against the rest of us. It's simple as that. Simple as that. And it's, you know, you got to put primarily the primary responsibility on the state, if only because they're the ones with the actual mechanism to make it happen. Evil billionaires got to compete in a free market if they don't have a government to bribe. And we keep giving them a government to bribe. And anyway, I don't know. The other thing, I guess this is the real frustration of Obama's speech last night, is that whoever comes next is almost virtually guaranteed to be a far worse president than him. Any of the candidates that even have a shot at it are even worse than this guy. And so, man, here I am. I'm just getting over that finally Dick Cheney is gone. <sighs> that sigh of relief from 2009, watching him wheel out in his chair with his little umbrella and whatever, looking like the penguin. Uh, and, uh, yeah, here we're ready for the next one, whether it's Hillary or Biden. Or uh, whoever comes next. Uh, Trump or Jeb. I still think it could be Jeb. But he is such a lousy candidate that, yeah, maybe not. I mean, if it was all things being equal as an intellectual sort of experiment, then yeah, the centrist rhino banker candidate guy wins. The compassionate conservative gets the nomination, the most electable in the general. This may be one of those times where that's upset, not just because of Trump, but just because of 
loser written all over Jeb's face. It's unbelievable how pathetic he is, isn't it? It's hilarious. Surprising to me, I think, you know, just how bad he is. But anyway. But yeah, um, Obama, he's going to lead the, the way into the future of all the alternative energies, and he's going to fix everything that he's ruined about the healthcare industry, everything that he's made even worse than it already was. He got to admit, something is really, really wrong when the vice president needs to ask the president for a loan to pay for his son's cancer treatment. I mean, assuming that anything out of Biden's mouth isn't a damn lie. Oh, Biden's, uh, Biden said when his son is dying, he said, yeah, I think I'm going to sell my house because he lost his job, lost his insurance, you know. And Obama goes, no, nah, don't, because he's a millionaire from all the book sales, you know. And who knows what else. He says, don't sell the house, Joe. I'll, I'll loan you the money. I'll give you the money. Uh, and pretty funny. You'd think he could ask his other son uh, to cash in some uh, Chevron stock from their Ukrainian expansion, you know, that kind of thing. No? Can't cash in on Ukraine yet, Joe? Anyway, don't worry, though, um, in case you were afraid that you might die of cancer someday. They put Joe Biden in charge of curing it here, so. It should be a thing of the past here, uh, beginning any minute now. I mean, is that not what you believe? Who says Austrian school libertarians have to be statists on immigration? We should support government goons busting people's heads to keep them out of the country? Well, some have tried to make that case in the past. But now David Hathaway's hard-hitting new book, Immigration, Individual versus National Borders, refutes point-by-point point every argument they've made. This is a short, well-written book that shuts down the closed borders argument once and for all. Immigration, Individual versus National Borders by David Hathaway. Forward by me. Buy it now on Amazon.com in both print and Kindle versions. Hey, Al Scott Horton here for WallStreetWindow.com. Mike Swanson knows his stuff. He made a killing running his own hedge fund and always gets out of the stock market before the government-generated bubbles pop, which is, by the way, what he's doing right now, selling all his stocks and betting on gold and commodities. Sign up at WallStreetWindow.com and get real-time updates from Mike on all his market moves. It's hard to know how to protect your savings and earn a good return in an economy like this. Mike Swanson can help. Follow along on paper and see for yourself. WallStreetWindow.com. All right, y'all, welcome back to the show. I'm Scott Horton. It's my show, The Scott Horton Show. Call in if you want, man. 512-271-4836. 512-271-4836. And don't get me wrong, I ain't defending Bernie Sanders. The guy's horrible in virtually every way. I mean, you might think someone as commie as him might be a bit anti-war, but no, nah, not really. He's absolutely horrible. My comment isn't even about him. It's just about the media. It is absolutely glaring, the omission of coverage of Bernie Sanders and his campaign. Here's a guy who is doing almost as well as Hillary Clinton, nationally, as well as in Iowa and New Hampshire. And there's virtually a total blackout on the guy. And, I mean, I admit, I'm not the world's worst uh, TV cable news junkie, but I do watch quite a bit of it. During the show, especially, it's on in the background all the time, whatever. And I surf around the Internet a hell of a lot as well. And as far as the real mainstream outlets, 
there's virtually zero coverage of the guy. I mean, I'm thinking if you were like, I don't know, a moderately interested 10th grader, you might not have ever heard of him. You know? Um, and it was, it was like this in 2008 as well. Oh, in 2007. Um, you know, the, the, and, in the beginning of 08. Oh, it's definitely Hillary. Well, especially in the summer of 07. Oh, it's Hillary. It's definitely Hillary. Blah, 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 blah. Now, the difference between Obama and Sanders is only that Obama really had a big part of the Democratic Party establishment already locked up. There was already a significant anti-Hillary force there, uh, that really wanted to recruit him. I don't think Sanders has that. Sanders is a much more grassroots attempt uh, to oppose her. But you would think that he's not completely on Lockheed's jock, right? You would believe from the way, sorry, (laughs) from the way that TV news covers him, you would think that he's some kind of very principled Ron Paulian purist on at least the most important things or something. But, oh no, he's not. Um, he's bad on the F-35. I mean, what more do you need to say than that? He thinks that, hey, if we can have F-35s in Vermont, then I'm for F-35s. He's the guy that sold Ron Paul out when Ron Paul had the true audit, the Fed bill. And then, and Sanders had, uh, introduced his virtually exact version in the Senate. And then when it came down to it, he took all the good stuff out for the conference committee. And said, oh, yeah, you can audit everything that the Fed does except all the money that they give to all the foreign government banks and, and gigantic private banks that they give money to. Because, geez, we can't have you auditing monetary policy. <laughs> and Sanders sold Paul out on that one. The good Paul, Ron, back in 12 or whatever it was. So anyway, um, but yeah, I mean, you would think that he's all he's cracked up to be or something just by the level of the news blackout of his campaign. And I think the reason is obvious. It's because the the corporate uh, status who rule the media are terrified that if Bernie Sanders' argument is given a fair shake, that the American people at this point will vote for socialism. You people won't let us work for a living? Fine. Then feed us all the seed corn. Uh, redistribute all the capital to the poorest people if you're not going to, you know, spend it employing us. And, you know, I think they probably have a good right to fear that. A good reason to fear that. I think the American people are stupid enough to fall for that. As Sanders has said, I'm not talking about nationalizing all the industries and the property. I'm just talking about really high taxes and really good benefits for you. <laughs> Boy, there's he could sell that, man. And like Rand, his foreign policy is don't worry, I'm warmonger enough and basically nothing else. You know, I'm just warmonger enough. But certainly not he certainly doesn't make an anti imperial case whatsoever. Uh not like his supporters seem to mind. But it really is something for the books to see. Um you know, I saw, well, it was the ridiculously uh, pro-Hillary Clinton Media Matters uh, kooks, um, but I believe it was a tweet from them a couple of weeks ago where they were saying, 
they were comparing coverage of Donald Trump and Bernie Sanders, and it was some thousands of percent more coverage of Trump, which is certainly believable to me. Like, I don't even mind citing Media Matters for it just because it's, you know, so obvious, I think, on its face. Um, you know, I don't know. You know what he ought to do? He ought to call them anti-Semites. He ought to just muse that, like, you know what? Maybe the people at MSNBC just hate Jews. And maybe that's why they won't talk about me or let me be on their station. And then what are they going to do about that? And they'd have to at least cover the accusation, right? They'd have to come up with some other plausible explanation for why they want the average liberal MSNBC watcher to hardly even know of this guy's existence. But anyway, and same for CNN and the rest of them, too. And yes, it is terrifying to think of the American people possibly choosing an avowed socialist to be the chief executive uh, of the uh, national government, uh, of the executive branch there. But then again, just like with Trump, for that matter, just like with Hillary, it's a measure of the alternatives. Jeez, you don't support Hillary, do you? What? God, her opponent in the primary is an avowed socialist. And her opponent in the general is damn near an avowed fascist. And certainly avowedly lawless and belligerently violent, so. Yeah. This is how people decide politics. Who's the worst, worst, and I'll oppose the best chance of beating him? Crazy. By the way, uh, as long as I'm wasting time instead of covering hard news uh, about Yemen wars and stuff like I wanted to, uh, I should uh, ask you guys whether you saw on the Pirate Bay, they've got this new movie. It's called The Experimenter. And you're all probably familiar, but anyway, I liked it. It's the story of Stanley Milgram and the experiments that prove just what tools everybody is and just how easy it is to get people to torture people they don't know just because some schmuck said so. Never mind because a guy with shiny costume jewelry on that says Sheriff's Department said so. But just because some guy in an experiment where they're a volunteer, where they haven't signed any contract, only a waiver of liability, where they're absolutely free to walk out at any time, this is some 84% of people under all the various circumstances were willing to torture people up way past the point where the subject was silent and maybe dead in the other room. Maximum voltage. Just because some guy is saying, the experiment requires for you to continue. And they'll be like, all right. And they think they're shocking somebody, possibly even to death. But... Boy, they're pleasing the guy that, for some reason, they are so intent on pleasing. And plus, they've got a measure of deferred responsibility on being told what to do by someone else. And so they are the one who is responsible, not me. And then they flick the switch. And, of course, they've done the studies millions of times in millions of ways. And it's uh, it's catastrophe. All the lessons in there. And they've all done, you know, very different versions of this. And you may have heard, uh, and you can read about this online too, uh, the story of the guy who would call fast food restaurants and he would basically 
just manipulate the idiot assistant manager into more or less raping some young lady working there under the theory that they're somehow magically deputized by this voice on the phone to conduct this investigation for him on some completely bogus accusation against her. And they do it. They just they go along with it. Some of this is on video. There's a whole documentary about one of them, I think. And people will torture their neighbors because a voice on the phone said so. People they're responsible for, young people they're responsible for. Don't you get sick of the Israel lobby trying to get us into more wars in the Middle East? Or always abusing Palestinians with your tax dollars? It once seemed like the lobby would always have full-spectrum dominance on the foreign policy discussion in D.C. But those days are over. The Council for the National Interest is the America lobby, standing up and pushing back against the Israel lobby's undue influence on Capitol Hill. Go show some support at CouncilForTheNationalInterest.org. That's CouncilForTheNationalInterest.org. Hey, I'll Scott Horton here for MPV Engineering. This isn't for all of you, but for high-end contractors specializing in industrial construction and end-users who own and operate industrial equipment, MPV offers licensed professional consulting on chemical and mechanical engineering for your projects. Tanks, pressure vessels, piping, heat exchangers, HVAC equipment, chemical reactors for oil companies or manufacturing facilities, as well as project management support and troubleshooting for those implementing designs. MPV will get your industrial project up and running. Head over to mpvengineering.com. All right, you guys. I'm going to go skateboarding. I don't want to do a radio show for a little while more. Um, yeah, man, so it's my show, Scott Horton Show. That's a good clip. Um, yeah, sorry. I was watching got to do heel flip thing. Um, yeah, news. I'm not sure. I guess I'll just do the news. Here, man, call in if you want. 512-271-4836. Uh, name your war, ask your question, whatever you want. Uh, news. Iran is virtually done implementing their side of the nuclear program. All the expanded inspections, all the scaling back of their work at Iraq and at Fordo, uh, as well as Natanz. Uh, the, uh, PMD file is closed on the BS over Parch and Amerivan and the rest of that nonsense. Um, uh, done deal there. And the sanctions are due to be lifted by next Monday. Once the nuclear deal is verified by the International Atomic Energy Agency. So all hail, peace and exchange. And I did tell y'all. You know, before the nuclear deal, back whatever, a year ago or a little less or something, that all things being equal, this is great. And it could be that in reaction, the Saudis, you know, start a terrible war, make the war already going on that much worse or whatever in their reaction to it. We don't know about that. But it must be said, uh, especially in the face of so much war propaganda, that Iran never was a nuclear threat. And it was absolutely the right thing for the American government to make a deal whereby they basically acknowledge that fact under the condition that Iran double extra super lucky happy wish guarantee it far beyond any previous uh, inspection and verification regime in the history of the IAEA. And they did it. That's what they did. They completely scaled back their program. They shipped out all their excess uranium. 
They've done, they've basically made it extremely difficult for them to make a nuke if they kicked the IAEA out of the country, if they withdrew from the non-proliferation treaty, they are at this point guaranteed that it would take at least a year to get a single uranium warhead together. And then even that, I think, assumes that they already know how to implode one rather than do a more simple gun-type nuke, which uh, requires more uranium and then is much more difficult to deliver. So anyway, nuance, nuance. But they're not making nukes. They weren't making nukes. The deal that was made was we'll lift the sanctions if you will double extra super lucky happy wish guarantee beyond any shadow of a doubt that you're not making nukes. And they said, fine, we got nothing to lose. Just lift the damn sanctions. And that's the deal. And it's a good deal. And, you know, hopefully no Tom Cotton here or Tom Cotton there can screw it up. Uh, implementation, implementation day. Is just beyond the horizon. And look at what the orders were from the the presidency, from the military, from the leadership, the Ayatollah regime there in Iran when uh, these American sailors. And maybe it was a deliberate provocation by someone in our Navy. I don't know exactly what happened. I don't think anybody knows exactly why our sailors were in their waters. But look at how Iran's government reacted. Pat them on the head very nicely and let them go at dawn. Right. None of this, uh, you know, wait and humiliate like they did with the British uh, back, what, 10 years ago or whatever it was. Orders from on high was don't you IRGC dude screw this nuclear deal up for us. Not right now. No, you don't. You set them free. And I just saw a clip out on Twitter. This isn't North Korean brainwashing propaganda. This is after just a couple of hours. And it's a sailor, an American sailor, telling Iranian uh, news that, yes, they treated us fantastic. There's no problem whatsoever. Everything's fine. And he's smiling. It's obvious he does not have a gun to his head. You know, uh, you can look at it on Twitter right now. Anyway, uh, four killed is Saudis. Uh, bomb, another Yemen, Doctors Without Borders Hospital. This is from two days ago. Another one. This is new. January the 10th, 2016 is this headline. News.antiwar.com. Another Doctors Without Borders Hospital. Bombed by the Saudis in Yemen. Um, Saleh rejects talks with Hadi. UN chief Saudi use of U.S.-made cluster bombs could be a war crime, obviously. Uh, that war continues to rage on month 10 in Yemen. The worst humanitarian crisis on earth. Nobody knows how many people are starving to death, but apparently you can keep an entire population on the brink of starvation for a good year. That's amazing. I would think once you're on the brink of something, you can get, fall right over that thing and help doesn't come. All right, switching to, uh, Syria war. Cameron, that's, uh, UK Prime Minister David Cameron admits claims of 70,000 moderate rebel fighters is false. Says it was a best estimate of an intelligence agency that he refuses to name. Apparently, MI5 and MI6 are all saying, we didn't say that. SIS or whoever, whatever over there. Um, so Cameron is saying, well, I can't tell you who told me, but they did say that. But no, okay. That, yeah, no, those are, quote, relatively hardline Islamists. Yeah, Al-Qaeda guys. Remember, as uh, Andrew Coburn explained on the show, Arar al-Sham, 
is just another break-off of the Azam group. Azam, which is, you know, that's what Al-Qaeda is, the Azam group. Uh, same damn thing. Arar al-Sham, Al-Qaeda, the Islamic State, they all claim Osama bin Laden. The only difference between Al-Qaeda and the Islamic State in Syria is, well, tactics. And uh, the Islamic State, they no longer listen to Zawahiri. They listen to Baghdadi. But Baghdadi and his regime still claim to be the heirs of Osama and his policy. So uh, they're all just one, two, three many Al-Qaeda's. And yeah, the UK is pretending they're moderates, but they're not. Um, and by the way, uh, speaking of debunked propaganda, this one is in foreign affairs, believe it or not. Saddam's ISIS. And it's about how you may have read some propaganda that said that Saddam was getting in bed with Al-Qaeda back before the war. And that's just not true. That, yeah, the Ba'athists have compromised with the Islamic State now, but that's years later. And don't you do one to skip a few on us and try to confuse the issue here. Saddam was basically a secular atheist commie with a clean-shaven chin that he shaved every morning, and a beret, you know, like the guys in Duran Duran. He would wear his little beret. And olive green, symbolizing, look at me, I'm a European-style nationalist militarist with no interest in religion whatsoever, other than keeping leaders of religious groups, political religious groups, at bay. That was his entire game. And this is a good one. I read the whole damn thing, and it's good. It's in foreign affairs. Saddam's ISIS, the terrorist group's real origin story. And uh, it really debunks that. And, you know, it's too bad that they don't take the time to fill in and say, now here's what really happened and how this is all because of the invasion of 2003 all the way through George W. Bush and Barack Obama's policy ever since then with no break. And, you know, Bush turning Western Iraq into Jihadistan uh, inadvertently. And then Obama pretty much quite deliberately uh, spreading that same jihad into Libya and then especially into Syria, where all the consequences come in. Uh, but very important article to read here. Saddam's ISIS, it's in foreign affairs. And you may have to register. You get one free article if you register. I went ahead and did it because somebody asked me to. Um, but So there you go. Um, Iraqi Sunni mosques burnt in revenge attacks, 10 killed. And uh, those are revenge attacks because of the Islamic State attacks on an Iraqi mall and a cafe which killed 42, over 100 wounded. This is from January 11th, attacks in Baghdad by the Islamic State. You know, this is why that war is not going to end anytime soon there. It's because George Bush gave the capital of Baghdad to the Shia, not just to rule, but to populate. I mean, he kicked all the Sunnis out, helped them to kick them all out. And El Salvador option, again, look it up. And so the Islamic State can't do anything about that. It took the U.S. Army and Marine Corps to accomplish it. But So the Islamic State can't reverse it, but they can fling suicide bombers and suicide attackers at Baghdad from now on. And apparently they will. It's the first time the Shia have ruled a uh, an Arab city since they ruled Cairo back in the Safavid dynasty in 1100-something. So it's uh, not a loss that the Sunni leaders take lightly. Anyway, I'm sorry we're out of time, man. There's so much more news to cover here, but, well, that's what tomorrow's show's for.
ScottHorton.org for more.